The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Happy New Year, everyone. And a big welcome to anybody who is coming into the building for the first time today. So Dan and Carrie are our program hosts. Feel free to check in. Kaya, Haya rather, is in the office after the program. She can answer your questions or get you oriented. And we usually take this time at the beginning of the year and also in September because we've been conditioned, you know, this whole habit of going back to school after our winter break or after the summer break and to kind of review what it is we're doing here at the center. And, you know, the, the Buddha's teachings are, it's not as simple as we'll just be aware, but mindfulness, sati, is really a central practice. And a lot of the other practices that help us be a good human being are really, they build on this capacity or understanding of what it is to be mindful. And I think it's good not to presume we know. I mean, it's, it's sort of silly to say, uh, like to confess, I don't know what wisdom awareness is. I don't know what it means to be mindfully aware. It would sound like, what? <laughs> but I think it's good to have some humility about what it means to be mindful because we often associate mindfulness with paying attention to a particular object. But what is mindfulness, regardless of like what the mind is paying attention to, what is that quality of mind we refer to as mindful awareness? What does that mean? And the problem is it's, it's a s- relatively subtle thing. And so it's hard to keep in mind. So we tend to like do like I was saying, silly things where we associate mindfulness with a certain bodily posture. So if I'm not in that bodily posture, then I couldn't possibly be mindful. Or even like if you have a slightly more sophisticated idea, it's like if I move around in my life like a zombie, I'm being mindful. (laughs) But if I'm rushing, if I'm moving at a fast speed, then I can't be mindful, right? We have these sort of silly things or people who are have kind of a louder, bigger personality, can't be mindful. People who are more introverted, oh yeah, you're mindful. And see, that's, it really, it gets a little stinky that way, right? Where we kind of are characterizing mindfulness in a certain way that causes us to forget what the essential point of sati, mindful awareness is. Because it has, sometimes I refer to it as a soft power, like water has a soft power. When we think about, you know, the canyons we've seen, even on the north shore of Lake Superior, some of you have been there, or maybe in the southwest, and you've seen those amazing canyons that mostly by water have been eroded. Water can do amazing things, you know, right through granite. Like, I don't know what, I think it's mostly granite, right, on the north shore, but those rushing streams over the you know, geological time have carved amazing grooves. <laughs> and it's really, uh, it's impressive 
It teaches us something about patience, too, and persistence, sticking with it. And this is the thing we'll notice, even in a more simple way, like we've had a rough day, the body, mind is kind of tight, we're back home, and we sit down on the couch, and we recognize that my body and mind is all wrapped up with the day still, all tied into knots. And we just sit on the couch for a few moments, and we just, in a way, we're embracing, we're illuminating, we're receiving the mess of what's left over from the day. And that, in a way, we're bathing everything that is in the body and mind, we're bathing it with this all-embracing, kind, patient, persistent, Awareness. Oh, yeah, it's like this. Feels like this. Just like this. Not that you need those words, of course, but there's just this intention, right? Because awareness, mindful awareness, wisdom awareness, it arises because wisdom remembers it's a possibility and remembers to keep it in mind because it's very easy to slide back into thinking about what happened today and complaining about what happened today, and wondering what's on the TV so I don't have to feel what's left over from the day, or you know whatever other kind of distraction we might orient toward. But instead, just that inclination, that spiritual inclination just to feel and receive. And basically, in a kind of energetic sense, awareness is creating space for whatever got entangled and um, agitated, disturbed during the day from the wild, difficult day, it's creating a space for everything to begin at least to unwind and settle. And depending on the simile you want to use, like a snow globe settling down that you shook up. But there's something, it's not that mindfulness our mindfulness practice gets in there and does the disentangling because the disentangling is a natural, the settling is a natural process. It doesn't need a practitioner to get in there and untie the knot. The unraveling, the settling happens, but it requires this wise, kind, embracing, illuminating space of awareness, wisdom awareness, wisdom love awareness, mindfulness, right? We use different phrases because, of course, it's never about the word. It's about this inherent capacity for all of us in all of our minds to relate in this way. It's a way of relating. I can relate to my experience now or at the end of a busy day with negativity, with aversion, with distraction, or I can relate with wisdom and awareness. And there are different consequences according to how I'm relating to my experience in the body and the mind. And one allows for an unraveling and settling and a clarifying, allowing for more skillful action. And other ways of relating cause whatever entanglements that are there to keep getting tangled or new entanglements. 
right? I could go to the bar and get drunk and have unsafe sex and make my life more complicated, you know, create some more tangles. Which is, you know, we do things like that, whether it's something more simple like just overeating or having conversations that don't, you know, gossiping that don't help. So one of the things that, you know, in the new year that's really nice to do is to establish some time every day. It has to be something we deeply value. And it's, even though it can look uh, from the outside as passive, like I'm just resting, it's quite active, right? We're actively creating, the mind is actively remembering, supporting this wise and kind space. And it's an actively, uh, the mind is actively, or you could say the wisdom is actively not being confused by what it's feeling. Because in that wise, embracing space of mindfulness, it's just going to amplify sensitivity. We're going to feel what we're feeling more. Things that we normally don't feel, we're going to start to feel because we're not practicing distraction and denial. So somebody on the outside might look serene or peaceful or still, but it might be incredibly wild what's moving in the heart and mind and body might be intense. But we're creating, and it's a practice, we're doing our best to create the space of non-reactivity. Not grasping, not struggling, not presuming that I have to do something about what I'm feeling. Except to honestly acknowledge it's like this. Oh yeah, this is what's moving. It's like when something we do something like that, right? Like leave our phone on. And then we feel what we feel. Like this is a perfect example. Like can you just let whatever you're feeling, like give it total permission, right? To be the way it is. Exactly. Because <laughs> then it, it actually unwinds pretty quickly. But if we feel like, oh, I have to own that embarrassment, right? We just lock it in kind of continue the entanglement. But if we let the humiliation and embarrassment just bloom, but it because it's being met with this <laughs> space of wisdom, it very quickly unwinds and nothing's left. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, the thing is, as we're feeling it, every other time in our life we've done something embarrassing, will sympathetically vibrate with the embarrassment that's arising right now, right? So even though it's a relatively small thing to leave, have forgotten to leave, shut our phone off, it reminds us of all the other times in our life where we weren't perfect, right? And we got caught being not perfect, right? And then that, that, that what might have been a simple feeling actually gets to be a very compelling feeling I'm not okay, or something, you know, some version of I'm not good enough, I'm bad. And what wisdom awareness, our practice has this capacity not to be fooled. So even though that's a very compelling thought and emotion, wisdom awareness doesn't grab it. So it just keeps moving. 
It may be an incredibly painful movement, but it's moving. That's the key. Wisdom awareness, or what we generally call mindfulness, creates a space where everything gets to move. doesn't mean we're acting it out. Right? We may feel a wave, an energetic wave, but we're, not, we're, we're learning to sort of meet it with relaxation, a softness, a kind of transparency. But like I was saying a few minutes ago, what we're actually subjectively feeling might feel like twisted steel, may feel like bolts of lightning, might feel like you know, the weight of the earth pressing down on my heart. could feel like anything, blast furnace of heat, but there's this presumption, and it's, it, we have to grow this presumption. Whatever I'm feeling is safe to feel. I'm not going to be frightened by the feelings that are moving in my body, in my heart, in my mind. As intense, as believable, as subtle, as wormy as they might be, if it's here, if it's moving, I'm going to presume that it's okay to say, yes, you get to move. You get to do your dance. And right now, in this moment, I'm practicing taking the position of this space of love, the space of wisdom. By wisdom, I mean that we, not that we understand what's moving, but we understand that what's moving is nature, and nature knows what it's doing. I don't know what nature's doing, but nature knows what it's doing. So when a storm blows in, we never think the weather doesn't know what it's doing. We never think that way. But when we're feeling something moving in our heart, in our body, and mind, we often think nature doesn't know what it's doing. I gotta this is not what I'm supposed to be feeling. You know, this is not what I'm supposed to be thinking. How do we know? what we're supposed to be feeling or thinking. right? We don't know. All we know is this thought is here. This emotion is here. This bodily experience is here. That's what we actually know. So maybe we should give it permission. Not that we're going to act out the emotion or the thought or the bodily feeling. Maybe we do sometimes have to. But as a formal practice... We're saying, at least we're saying, not now. Right now, I'm just going to connect. I'm just going to see clearly. I'm just going to feel deeply what's moving. But when the formal part of my practice is done and I'm dancing in the world of action, then some of what's moving might be appropriate to sort of bring into the world as speech or action. And some not. But we develop this amazing capacity because we can be so much more intimate, like as a training ground, like when we sit still or some people, you can even do practice lying down. Generally, it doesn't work for more than, you know, 10, 15 minutes at the longest because the mind gets uh, sleepy and dull after a certain number of minutes. But for a few minutes, lying down can be a very good meditation posture, standing up can be a very good meditation posture for periods of time. And walking in a relaxed way, not where you're sort of getting pulled into what you're seeing, but just you know, having a place where you're walking, where you're really 
with your inner experience, like what's moving in the mind, heart, and body, really staying there as opposed to what's that squirrel doing. Then walking can be a useful meditation. So we can really use the whole day to let things move. And the better we get at this, then even the action, the speaking up, the doing things, even that can be the activity of nature. So that we're, in a sense, we're learning to hold our whole life. Like when I'm on my game, my mindfulness game, I can even, in moments, be giving a talk in front of a group of people, you know, and the personality and the training and all of that is engaged and active and responding to the moment. And there can be a sense of just letting it rip, just the teacher and the person and the human being and the practitioner, all kind of those patterns are all sort of forces of nature doing their thing. And wisdom and awareness is here, holding it, allowing, uh, not being confused by the impulse to control or the impulse to be afraid or the impulse to be liked. Those impulses, of course, to whatever degree they're still conditioned in, have momentum, they're going to express themselves in all the different ways that they do in my heart and your heart. But we don't, wisdom doesn't need to be confused by them. And so we'll start having places in our life where we can be quite active, engaged, but still very much practicing the, the freedom of awareness, right? where wisdom and awareness and love is there, in a sense, holding, and it's providing this very powerful feedback. So nature is moving. It's a conditional, complex, right? interdependent movement. That's what nature is. But now with this wisdom awareness, nature has this reflective feedback because it's self-aware, you could say. So that dance, that conditional unfolding of what my personality is saying in the talk or doing when I'm interacting with my partner or whatever I might be doing, it's being informed by the wisdom awareness. Not in a direct way. It's just like a natural feedback. Oh, this is feeling a little tight. This is feeling a little self-centered. This is feeling beautiful and expansive and loving, right? That, without the words, that's just what wisdom awareness is doing. It's feeding the conditional or natural unfolding of our dance, of the personality and all the interactive dances we're doing with other people, engagements. And it's a very different way of being because normally what we're doing is thinking, I've got to do my life. I have to do this interaction. So when you, when you commit to sitting every day for 30 minutes or an hour or whatever you can put aside, five minutes, 10 minutes, even if it's just, like I said, lying down for five minutes, 10 minutes, when you get home at the end of a busy day, find a quiet space, not so much to nap, but just to feel what you feel. 
then in that more simple way where we're using the stillness of our sitting or lying down or standing posture, we're using that to kind of, let me go back to kindergarten, let me see how everything is moving, but I don't have too many things calling on me to speak or act right now because I'm in a meditative space. And I can really practice in this kindergarten way letting everything move at the same time being felt, being seen, being held by awareness, wisdom and awareness. And we're, we're kind of growing the trust that we don't, we don't have this o- only this one option, which is to identify with the movement of our personality, the sense of me, like Atlas with the world on their shoulder shoulders, you know, like, oh, I've got to do my life. I've got to hold my responsibilities, you know. Do I let my kid look at a screen or not? Do I feed my cat once a day or twice a day or whenever it wants food? You know, these, I mean, these are difficult decisions. How do we know? Let alone other sort of complex things. How do I take responsibilities for the injustices in the world? Do I presume it's other people's responsibility? Or do I figure out imperfectly how to show up and contribute to the lessening of suffering and oppression in the world? There are no right answers. So to practice where things are relatively simple, where right now when I'm lying down or I'm sitting in meditation, right now I don't have the obligation to figure out how many times to feed my cat or whether the kid gets to use the screen or how I'm going to show up around the different injustice, racial injustice or economic injustice in the world. I just have to feel what I'm feeling, let move what's moving. And then once we're in the world and we read something or hear something or something happens in front of us, then we have an obligation to dance with whatever's showing up in front of us. But we can, instead of the oppressive feeling, I've got to know how to dance, it's much more, the dance is already happening. My job is to hold it with love and forgiveness and patience and wisdom. Oh, this is how Mark's dancing. This is how the personality's dancing. Not very skillfully right now. And I feel what that feels like. And that's the feedback, right? Oh, this feels like a pretty, relatively speaking, skillful way that you're dancing the dance with this particular thing going on in this moment. And then that's the feedback. Because that's what the wisdom awareness senses. It senses when the whole dance is contaminated by the constriction of fear or the constriction of greed. And it feels when the dance, the interaction, is relatively free of that constriction of fear and greed and hatred. And so we don't get away with anything that way, right? So when we're, you know, interacting with our child, well, wisdom awareness, like when we're not trying to figure out what to say to our kid (coughs) as we're negotiating something, but we're there in that embracing way, 
So if the interaction is tainted with constriction, that's noticed. Oh, interesting. This is really tight. Let me feel this. Let me include this. So it's not like, oh, I should do something. It's just like including. And this is really a radical shift from thinking I have to do my life to the practice of connecting and feeling, embracing, and trusting that that leads to a more skillful, beautiful engagement with all the responsibilities and duties, complexities of our lives. Because the question is the same regardless, like, how do I do my life? That's the question. Right, And we know, we see in ourselves and in others how much of our answer to that question is the best way to do my life is to not be there. So I use crossword puzzles and obsession with news and all these other ways to not feel and be connected because it's hurt. it hurts knowing that I don't know how to do my life. Or we pretend that we do know how to do our life. Right, we have a more controlling approach, and any other number of not so helpful versions of being a human being. And then we hear about these teachings, and it's like out of the box. Right, I mean, basically, the Buddha or this tradition is saying, "I'm not going to tell you necessarily how to be a skillful human being." I mean, there are certain rules for the road, like kindness versus hatred, but even that on an informational level, doesn't help so much. What the tradition is really saying is what really helps in the short, medium, and long run is to invest in wisdom awareness, not in you trying to be skillful. Or the way you invest in being skillful isn't so much figuring out how you're going to do this thing, how you're going to take on this responsibility, but learning how to show up with wisdom and awareness and love, how to be present. That's what being present or mindfully aware means. Wisdom isn't a strategy. Love isn't a strategy. Strategies can, wise or loving strategies flow out of love and wisdom. But love, wisdom, awareness, they're very similar. Wisdom, love, and awareness all involve moving in the direction of being connected, seeing what there is to see, feeling what there is to feel, and never presuming we're seeing and feeling everything that's here and now. Because that's the presumption. Like It would be very easy for all of us to say, oh, no, I'm, I'm connected, I'm feeling, I'm seeing. But why would we presume that we're feeling, seeing everything that can be seen and felt? What would lead us to conclude that? Ignorance, <laughs> right? And so humility is a telltale sign of wisdom, knowing that we don't know everything, that we're not awake because we have so many habits of disconnection and superficiality and distractedness. It's just we see it so well in others, but we tend it tends to be masked in ourselves how much we rely on superficiality and distraction, and thinking that we know fixed views, right? Because it's very, from an egoic point of view, it's very uncomfortable initially 
it's very uncomfortable to relax in that territory of knowing that I don't know. I don't know who I am. I don't know what to do with my life. I don't know the direction. I don't know how this plays out. And yet, holding back doesn't make sense. Like, So how to, uh, how to really own that ambiguity and the humility and own the necessity of showing up and engaging and doing our best. Because that's how we learn. That's how we find the way between being unskillful and being more skillful is by acting, engaging, but also from that place of awareness. Because then we feel, oh yeah, that the, the way I'm engaging, the way I'm speaking right now to this person, that feedback of like, oh, it feels like constriction. <laughs> feels like tightness and fear. And then wisdom awareness acknowledges, maybe even out loud with the person with us, I'm afraid. I'm tight right now. Let me just sit here for a moment and let's start over. And let me, let's connect from this point of view that I'm feeling this tightness. I don't understand it. Right? All of a sudden we're going to have a different kind of interaction. And of course, I don't know exactly what you should say in those moments. But it's all about, at least within our own body-mind, being real with ourselves, honest and not pretending. It always feels bad. I, it doesn't happen very often anymore, but every once in a while, because you know something disturbing happened right before I'm doing a public thing, a public talk, for example, and I'll feel like I'm mouthing words that I'm not connected with. And boy, this is the thing about this sort of uh, livelihood, is it leaves a really bad taste when you're sort of, talking about something like spiritual life and you're not connected. <laughs> and I, you know, I'm sure it's, it's common. But it's like uh, in all of our ways, being a parent, being a partner, having a lover, uh, whatever your job is, selling things or being you know, in the medical healthcare world or whatever your occupation might be, it's like, when we're living, when we're acting from a disconnected place, it's digging the hole of suffering. And even when it's messy, even when it's imperfect, but we're connected and we're real and we're honest about what's moving here, it leaves a good taste. Because we're nobody's expecting us to be perfect, but there is kind of a spiritual expectation that we're connected. I mean, that's the essence of karma. When we're disconnected, there are consequences to that disconnection. We're planting seeds for more disconnection. And when we're connected, we're planting seeds for the healing of connection. It's really that simple. And here in the new year, we can just reflect, do I value connecting with awareness and love and wisdom? Do I value being connected to feeling what I feel, seeing what I see, and living out of that truth of connection? Or am I becoming more and more dependent on 
superficiality and distraction and pretend certainty, right? Is that my tactic? Thinking things are important that I really know aren't important, but I'm just going to go along with the game because I don't know what else to do. So we fill our life, like I can do, you know, fill my life in moments with like, oh yeah, if I had the perfect cabin or retirement, you know, like, or just shifting my life so there's more space, you know. I'm feeling a little bit pressured coming on. Some of you know we're about to roll out our new retreat property, and it just seems like an enormous undertaking. Now that the community, that means all of us, have invested between six hundred and seven hundred thousand dollars in the new retreat property, and we're just setting up the rooms, and probably later in the winter start having programs out there. And I don't know who's going to do all that work. <laughs> <laughs> and it's scary, you know, because just kind of with Shelley and, and Gabe and other leaders kind of keeping on top of what's going on in the city, it seems like a lot. So um, here we are. And it's like uh, I did the itching. I don't know if you know this sort of pr- thing from ancient Chinese culture. It's really beautiful, especially this particular interpretation that Wen and I use from a woman named, I think her name is Carol Kennedy, wrote a while back uh, sort of how to interpret that you throw some sticks or coins. And the thing, we we did it on New Year's, and the thing I got was, uh, yeah, it's like, don't arrogantly think you have to do everything. When When you somehow forget that, like, this is all gonna happen not from you or from your leadership or from your but from the enormity of the, the totality of whatever's in motion here. And that felt really relieving. And I, I've really been noticing since New Year's, because it, it has all the details have been haunting me a little bit, I just noticed that um, relief, like I'll, I'll kind of be caught up in the details, and then I'll realize just some version of, like, I don't have to re- be responsible for the birthing of this new place. I don't have to be responsible for how this is all going to make sense or work out or who's supposed to do what. Or I just need to show up. I just need to keep showing up and be an imperfect human being. And that's a real relief. And that's the thing about wisdom awareness is we're taking ourselves out of the role of having to be a perfect mark And we're putting ourselves in the role of, I just need to see and feel, I just need to value being open, being connected. I don't have to do Mark, and I don't have to do Mark perfectly. I just need to value being present. And there's a lot of freedom in that, I'm finding. So there are no children here today. But uh, I think the youth group starts again next Sunday. But we have time for maybe one or two comments before we end. My name is Emil, and uh, I really enjoyed the uh, summary update on how we can help ourselves through mindful awareness. It seemed focused mainly on when we have a lot of energy moving and disentangling all of those knots and that sort of thing. 
my experience is with the negative image of that after my uh, traumatic body experience and having nothing. There's just nothing there. And it's not like um, I'm encapsulated by fear or anything else that is really dominant. It's just nothing. You know, it's, uh, it's a form of depression f- from open-heart surgery. And uh, I was wondering if you could speak to how mindfulness could be helpful there. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like we get good at the hot stuff, and then we start, you know, there's two other categories of just general categories of stuff, neutral stuff and beautiful, joyful stuff. And we might find that we're quite unskilled in those other areas, even though over time we've gotten quite skilled with the difficult, painful, disturbing stuff. And so this whole category of low energy, things are flat, things are even, nothing's happening. Like how to embrace and open and relax. And really remember, whether it's obvious or not, the, mind is, the mind's habit is to react, like to mistrust the neutrality or to mistrust that even heaviness, the dullness, the weakness that might be there. But what would it be, what is it to open to that? And it might be not what the mind initially thinks it is. Like what you might be experiencing is more your interpretation of the aftermath of pretty significant surgery Emil had about six weeks ago or so. Right? It may be the interpretation. And what is the more raw, immediate experiencing of what it is in your body and mind, what's happening in the body and the mind? But I found, like, even on a, not on a physical, but on a more emotional level, and this may be familiar, especially with more people conditioned as men in our society, is this sort of, uh, I'm not feeling anything kind of thing. I mean, that was sort of a big part of my early practice is the repressed nature of um, emotional life. And just like, when in doubt, don't feel. I mean, that's kind of how people, men, mostly of my generation, like, when in doubt, don't feel. Because when you feel, you might be expressive, and that's a weakness. So don't feel. And to really begin to get interested in that habit of things being quiet, things being still, things seemingly flat, or even at a more uh, unpleasant end of that spectrum, numb, like that they're numb, nothing's happening. And like what does authentic interest look like when the initial appearance is it's numb or flat, a desolate desert of the heart and body, you know, or life, my life is this sort of, And part of it is like what we have to be creative, like to really connect might take some creativity, like the idea of rebirth. Yeah, things like when there's a real traumatic thing, like quadruple heart surgery, um, there might need to be a real crash and death. And then the staying open to, well, I wonder what rebirth will look like for Emil. 
the rebirth of physical energy, the rebirth of emotional, mental energy. And like knowing that I don't know, am I still on the dying end? Like really, have I hit bottom yet? And then there's that, the same thing when you're getting a cold. You know, like when we're really mindful in that process, we know that we don't know. So we're sort of have that open, like, am I still crashing, getting sicker? Or, and there's a real turning point where it really feels like chi or prana or life energy is starting to move, and then it's like a different chapter. But we're not in control, and that's the hard part, is that there might be, like when you're looking at the state of your body and mind, there might be some expectation, and that will be oppressive. That will be uh, uh, contaminating the interpretation of what you think is happening. It's not easy to look at, to open to these states in a fresh, you know, authentic way. Yeah, thanks, Amal. Good luck with that. And if anybody has a lot of life energy, you could consider giving Amal <laughs> a transmission. <laughs> we'll put a sign on you, Amal. I take hugs, <laughs> but not too hard. <laughs> Gentle hugs. Yeah, time for one more before we end. Thanks. Uh, my name is Nick. Um, what you said about distracting yourself with TV and other things really kind of spoke to me, and I realize I do that quite a bit. Um, one of the other ways I think that shows up, and it's kind of been a, a, a challenge with some relationships and stuff, is positive thinking. Like, they want you to sort of think positively and then you can kind of get out of that situation and it does work sometimes but it seems to be a short-term thing I think that's pretty clear Um, but I have trouble sort of um, describing to them like why maybe not doing that in the long run would be a better thing yeah. than trying to just always positively think your way out of a situation. Right, because when we have to positively think our way out of a situation, we're amplifying the sense of danger of the situation that we're trying to get out of. Because if I need a strategy to get out of it, then it must be bad, right? So we're always, even when we use positive thinking, we still there somewhere in the background are haunted by what we're trying to lift the heart or mind out of. But when we're kind of like, oh, this is interesting, feels like this, right? We're, we're basically have the freedom of not needing, not needing to be afraid, not needing, knowing that whatever it is, it won't last anyway. And it isn't even what it appears to be. My mind habitually wants to see it as a personal problem. But it's just these experiences moving, being felt, being seen. Yeah, and it's just the, it's, a, it's hard to convince anybody. But it's easier to model, like, the enlivening, the sort of lightness that comes with, like, for example, when we're in a depressive state, it's really nice to, and I feel like I can do this with my partner, 
you know, I can really inhabit the depressive affect in moments and I can reflect back to her, you know, that I'm seeing that I'm acting out the, the depressive affect and we can laugh about that, right? And it's sort of like uh, part of what I'm modeling, part of what they can do to support me is like, yeah, and we know that it won't always be this way. How many times have we slipped into a heavy state, emotional state? Countless times. How many? Th- we must have come out of that countless times too, right? So these heavy states come and they go. Just like the joy, when they come, it goes. And we're just being more honest about it's always, there's always another chapter being prepared and we don't know what it is. But we can learn to contribute to it by not fixing on the existing chapter. We need to leave it here. Let's just take a few seconds. Let go of the words. You can pass the mic back to, I think Carrie's going to do the announcements today. Just take a breath or two together. Thanks for coming, everyone. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.